Howdy and welcome to the 10-Week Bible Study. This is week eight, day five of our study of Acts. I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and today we're talking about Acts 23, 12 through 35. Welcome back to the 10-week Bible study. I'm your host, Darren Hibbs. Would you join me as we pray before we start today? Lord, would you open our eyes and our ears to hear what your word has to say to us, God? Speak to us. We want to encounter you through your word today. We want to meet you, Jesus, the living word in your written word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With that, let's jump into God's word. I'll be reading today from the NIV. This is Acts 23, starting in verse 12. The next morning, some Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. More than 40 men were involved in this plot. They went to the chief priests and to the elders and said, We have taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we have killed Paul. Now then, you and the Sanhedrin petition the commander to bring him before you on the pretext that we are wanting more accurate information about the case. We are ready to kill him before he gets here. This is so, I mean, in so many ways, antithetical to being a law-abiding Jew, a law follower. Everything about this, I mean, this is so heinously evil. And here we we've, we understand that the Sanhedrin is going along with this. I mean, everything about this is so heinously wicked. And they're going along with this. Uh, this is, like I said yesterday, this is not because they're Jews. This is because they are unredeemed politicians in love with their own power and money. Don't think of this as, as some you know, way to say, ah, see, the Jews are just terrible people. That's not what this is about. But these people are terrible. I mean, heinously Wicked, what's going on here? Verse 16. But when the son of Paul's sister heard of this plot, he went into the barracks and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the commander. He has something to tell him. So he took him to the commander. The centurion said, Paul the prisoner sent me, sent for me and asked me to bring you this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took the young man by the hand, drew him aside and asked, What is it you want me want to tell me? He said, some Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul before the Sanhedrin tomorrow on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about him. Don't give in to them because more than 40 of them are waiting in ambush for him. They've taken an oath not to eat or drink until they have killed him. They are ready now waiting for your consent to their request. The commander dismissed the young man with this warning. Don't tell anyone that you have reported this to me. The commander is probably like, thinking, what is going on? Like, what is wrong with you people? This is nuts. And he, he, I'm sure he believes that, that when they say they've taken an oath not to eat or drink, he understands just how serious they are. We can read extra biblical accounts from Josephus and, and, and this is not out of the ordinary. This kind of thing is, is, I would say, normative. Um, I mean, when you look at, at what the zealots did in Israel, when you look at the historical accounts of what the zealots did and the kind, the type of stuff that they would engage in, uh, I mean, they were terrorists in every sense of the word. They viewed the Romans, I mean, the Romans were their occupiers, but they viewed them as their occupiers and, and essentially pretty much anything to destabilize 
their ability to govern was on the table at all times. And, and so I think the commander believes whole wholly that, yeah, they've taken this oath and they are very dedicated to killing Paul no matter what. And so he tells him to don't tell anybody you've told me this. I, I think that, that even the commander is thinking, my goodness, they are so serious. I don't even know who in my own organization or their organization. Don't, I don't know who knows what, or I don't trust anybody is what he's probably thinking. And I'm going to get to the bottom of this and I don't want this to escalate any further. And, and he, he's probably thinking to himself, if I'm the commander, I'm thinking if they kill Paul, there might be retributions from whoever Paul's group of people is. Like, he didn't understand this. The commander doesn't understand Christianity. He doesn't understand the group of people that Paul's from. He doesn't, he knows nothing about this other than these, you know, darn Jews here in Jerusalem are, are as ungovernable as possible. So he doesn't want some martyr to start some war between factions that he doesn't fully comprehend. And so he's, he's got to do something. So he's like, don't say anything to anybody about this. Verse 23. Then he called two of his centurions and ordered them, get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at nine tonight. Provide horses for Paul so that he may be taken safely to Governor Felix. He wrote a letter as follows. Claudius Lysias to His Excellency Governor Felix. I, I like that we get to know the the commander's name, Claudius Lysias. Continuing on to His Excellency Governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews, and they were about to kill him. But I came with my troops and rescued him, for I have learned I had learned that he was a Roman citizen. This is what I was talking about a few days ago: is that uh, our our commander here is going to. Um, He's he's going to tell the the story very favorably uh, from his perspective, right? As you know, I learned that he was a Roman citizen, so I swooped in and saved his life. He arrested him, was going to beat him, and and all of this before he ever learned that he was a Roman citizen. Now he did save his life. That again, I said that the other day. This is partially true. He did arrest him to save his life. But it wasn't because he found out he was a Roman citizen. He found that out after the fact, right? So this is, this is you know, partially true. Verse 28. I wanted to know why they were accusing him, so I brought him to their Sanhedrin. I found that the accusation had to do with the questions about their law, but there was no charge against him that deserved death or imprisonment. When I was informed of a plot to be carried out against the man, I sent him to you at once. I also ordered his accusers to present to you the case against him. So the soldiers carrying out their orders took Paul with them during the night and brought him as far as Antipatris. The next day they let the cavalry go with them while they returned to the barracks. When the cavalry arrived in Caesarea, they delivered the letter to the governor and handed Paul over to him. I mean, I mean, literally the cavalry came to safely take Paul to the governor so that these guys could not carry out their hunger strike vow to kill Paul. Incidentally, I wonder if they all, I wonder if they all starved to death. I wonder they, they, they vowed before the Lord that they weren't going to eat or drink. Uh, I wonder if the Sanhedrin sent a vow before the leaders of Israel before the temple was unbreakable. I wonder if the Sanhedrin uh, forced them all to die of starvation and, 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 dehydration. I doubt it. I doubt it. Verse 34. 
The governor read the letter and asked what province he was from. Learning that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear your case when your accusers get here. Then he ordered that Paul be kept under guard in Herod's palace. I don't know if Herod's palace had like a little dungeon or something like that, or if since Herod's not actively using this palace in Caesarea, if he gets to stay in a nice place. My guess is that Herod's palace probably didn't have a dungeon. So Paul is probably quartered in, in some at least halfway decent circumstances here, but he's still under guard in this palace. And I think this is partly to keep Paul from running away. And it's partly to keep anyone from getting to Paul because the, he knows that if he's been sent at night to get away from these guys, he knows that this is, is serious. So he wants to figure out what's going on with Paul, keep him alive, but keep him from escaping as well. And so this is the beginning of a very long and I would say irritating journey for Paul. And I think we're going to see some of his irritation, even though he knows the Lord has spoken this to him with clarity. I have to imagine that this had to be the most irritating way to spend this amount of time where he is just going to, for because of corruption at the highest level, he's just going to rot in jail for years. For a man that's been the equivalent of a jet setter in his day, traveling all over, all over the Roman world, preaching the gospel, this has got to be tough. But even in this, Paul is going to maintain his, when we look at his letters, I, I think joy in the Lord, that his joy truly is in the Lord, not in his circumstances. Paul says that over and over throughout his epistles. It's not his circumstances that gives him joy. It's his, it's his knowledge that his sins are forgiven, that he's going to spend eternity with Jesus. That's the thing that can give us joy. It's not our circumstances. Sometimes our circumstances are good. Sometimes they're bad. And if we lean into our circumstances for our joy, we will, we will be wanting. But if our joy can be found in the Lord, and specifically in the fact that our sins, our forgiveness, given forever and that forever we will live in eternity with God face to face. That causes my heart to flow with gratitude because I don't deserve any of that. I don't deserve any of that. But that's my state forever because of my faith in Jesus, my allegiance to Jesus as the Son of God, forever and forever, my sins will be forgiven. I will live with him. There's immense joy in that, even when our circumstances are difficult. For the 10-Week Bible Study, I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and I can't wait to see you next time. Hey, thanks for tuning into the 10-Week Bible Study Podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, would you consider leaving a review for it on your podcast app of choice? It really helps other people find out about this podcast, and my heart is for people to fall in love with God's Word. Thank you.